0: My name is Emily, and I'm a member here at the Heights. We're going to spend some time in God's Word together now. Today's teaching comes from Luke 1, 26 through 38 in the Bible. The large numbers are chapters, and the small numbers are verses. Let's hear what God has to speak to us today. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, "'Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you.' But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David.' He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us the gift of your word. We ask that you speak clearly to us through it today. Help us not just to listen, but to truly obey it for our joy and for your glory. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. everybody. Merry Wow! What was that? Let's try that again. There's some sort of echo, you know, I'm talking to myself up here. Uh, Merry Christmas! Thank you. It feels so good to say that. I'm so glad to be with you. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Got to spend time with uh, family and friends. Excited to dive into this Advent season. Do me a favor. Grab a Bible. Open it up to Luke chapter 1, the passage that Emily just did a great job reading for us. If you're new to the Bible, you can grab one out of the chair back in front of you. Open it up to page 907. Find the big number 1, the little number 26, and you're going to be right where we are diving in. You can put your finger there. We're going to dive in there here in just a few minutes. Before we do that, uh, one thing before we dive into our Bible teaching today. Uh, today we kick off our annual Christmas missions offering, um, and here's what, here's what this is all about. During the Advent season, we ask everybody that calls the Heights Church home to give a special one-time financial gift above and beyond their normal tithes and offerings, our normal tithes and offerings. And the cool thing about this is. Offering is that every penny that's given to the Christmas missions offering is uh, it goes outside the four walls of our church to meet physical and spiritual needs around the world. So here's some here's some of the things that the money given to this will go to. Uh, first, it goes to our church planting partners around the world. So many of you know we're helping plant a church in London right now, in Puerto Rico right now, in Miami right now, um, as well as we help a lot of church plants around the Denver metro area. And this money that's given du- given during the month of December in our Christmas missions offering it builds a so that we can be generous to church plants throughout the next year. Additionally, this uh, money goes toward meeting physical needs here in the city. So we, every year, we pile up money during the Christmas missions offering, and throughout the next year, this allows us to uh, meet the needs of people who come to us and say, hey man, I I can't buy food this week. And we say, hey man, Jesus loves you. We would love to buy your groceries. I can't pay my mortgage this week. Hey, Jesus loves you. We would love to help pay your mortgage. And that, this Christmas missions offering allows us to do things like that throughout the next year. Here's what we say uh, when it comes to this. In a season uh, that's marked by so much greed and like consumption and you know, what can I get? Uh, we as the people of Jesus, Want, uh, want to set a different culture, a culture of uh, generosity. Instead of asking me, you know, what can I get in this season? We want to ask, what can I give in this season uh, that will bless other people? And so we have a goal uh, with this. Uh, every year we say our goal is not a financial goal, but our goal is a participation goal. Um, we we want to encourage 100% participation. Allie and I are going to participate in this, and I want to encourage you to participate in it. That whether you can give like $10, and that's a sacrificial gift to you, or you can that's a sacrificial gift to you, that all of us would lock on Arms and be generous people so that we can meet uh, physical and spiritual needs uh, throughout the next year. So that's Christmas Missions Offering. You're going to hear a ton about that in the coming weeks. We make a big deal about this around here. If you want to participate, we'll put some instructions up on the screen. Uh, you can, if you want to do online or in person, online, you can go to the heightsdenver.com backslash CMO. That stands for Christmas Missions Offering. And uh, you can give right there, or you can uh, place cash or check in an envelope from the seat back in the front of you and place it in the giving box in each of those stairwells on your way out, okay? So that's Christmas Missions offering. Excited about that, excited to pile up uh, money together. In fact, I'll, get, I'll just give you one story. I was talking to uh, one of our volunteers this morning, and I, and I announced this to our, we do a big huddle where we pray for you guys, uh, and she told me, she goes, hey, um, I already got my check for Christmas missions offering uh, because every month over the last year, I've piled up money so that I can give to the Christmas missions offering. It's like, yeah, hey, that is so cool. That was so encouraging to me just to hear the heart of generosity in one of our volunteers this morning. So encourage you to start praying about that, thinking through what you're going to give. You'll hear a lot about that in the coming weeks. Cool? All right, all right, let's dive in. Today is uh, week one of Advent, where the global church pauses every year for four or five weeks, depending on the year, to pay attention to the arrival or, Anna said, the coming of Jesus. And this is what the word Advent means. It simply means coming, it's the Latin word for coming or the Latin word for arrival, where the church has historically done two things. It's looked backwards at the first arrival of Jesus and also looked forward to the second arrival of Jesus when Jesus is going to return and make all things new. We did a whole teaching on that this last week. The feelings that have historically been associated with this time are feelings in the church family of like longing and expectation and joy as we remember during the season that God is the one who entered into our darkness and hopelessness to bring light and hope and ultimately salvation. This is what the Advent season is all about. And what we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at. So here's, here's what we're going to be doing during this Advent season. We're going to be spending time in the first couple chapters of Luke, looking at the first arrival of Jesus, and looking at four key stories in, in these couple of chapters, and how they bring hope to us. That's what we're going to do over the next four weeks, and I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, now, before we dive into our teaching, I know I keep saying that, before we dive in, before we dive in, um, what I want to do is I just kind of want to slow down. Uh, we've hit you with 30 announcements this morning uh, already, and uh, I know that as a church family, we're coming off of Thanksgiving. Some of you probably just flew in last night uh, from out of town, and if you're anything like me, uh, I've spent the last week super busy, and my heart feels busy, and my mind feels busy. Uh, I got a lot going on. My family's actually moving this afternoon, and we got back in yesterday, so I'm, I'm just like, I'm feeling scattered. The holiday season can leave you feeling scattered, And man, I just, what we believe around here is uh, when we open the Bible, that God's going to speak. And so I just want to like, I just want to slow down and pay attention to what the Lord's wanting to unfold. uh, Not only in me, but in you guys, and invite the Lord to come and speak. There's this little line in one of my favorite uh, Christmas songs called Prepare Him Room, where it talks about our hearts being busy like Bethlehem. Uh, and that there's not room in our hearts for the work that Jesus wants to do, in the same way that there was no room for Jesus in the city of Bethlehem, they couldn't find a place for him to go and be born, there's, our hearts are kind of the same way, where we're just busy, and we don't, we don't have space in our hearts and in our minds for Jesus to come and work, so what I want to do is I just, and we do this semi-regularly around here, I just want to give you about 30 seconds of silence, Uh, You can posture your hands like this if you want to, in a posture of just invitation. And I want to encourage you to silently pray in this 30 seconds, Lord Jesus, would you come and would you speak to me and would you change me during this time as we open the Word? So 30 seconds of silence, then I'll pray for us and we will dive into our teaching today. Jesus, we want to slow down in these few minutes um, And we want to give our attention to you. We believe that you are alive. We believe that you are here with us by the Holy Spirit. We believe that when we open your word that you are speaking, the question is not whether you are speaking. The question is, are we paying attention? Are we listening? so in just a week that's been marked by a lot of busyness a lot of friends, a lot of family maybe where you've been pushed out and your voice has kind of been silenced because of the busyness we want to slow down and we want to invite you to speak Holy Spirit we want to invite you to come and take take the words of the scriptures and make them fresh on us today make them feel fresh on us today We want to pray that you would help us pay attention to you. And that out of this, that we would not just treat the things that we're going to say and the things we're going to sing, the prayers we're going to pray as good information, but this would be stuff that sinks into our hearts and brings actual change to the way we live our lives, the way we think about you. So God, we just pray and of in the flow of advent that you would enter into the dark places of our minds and the dark places of our hearts and that you would bring light, the light of the good news of Jesus. We need you. Holy Spirit come. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Feels good. Feels good just to slow down. Um. I want to talk to you today about not giving up on God, not giving up on God. If I were to boil today's teaching down into one big idea uh, from the passage that I think stands at the heart of this passage, it would be this, don't give up on God because God has not given up on you. Okay, don't give up on God because God has not given up on you. As we dive into the story of Christmas in Luke chapters 1 and 2, we're going to see that at the heart of it, at the heart of this story, is the reality of God re-entering the lives of people who thought God had given up on them. That's like a big theme in Luke chapters 1 and 2. God re-entering the lives of people who um, thought God had given up on them and inviting them back into life with him. One of the primary images, you see this everywhere. There's candles lit, there's a Christmas tree downstairs, there's, there's lights going up on houses. One of the primary images of the season that we're entering into is light shining into the darkness, and that's a really good image for this teaching today. Uh, if you feel like, if you're entering into this place, and you feel like you're in the dark in any way, if you're in the dark emotionally, this teaching's for you. If you're in the dark spiritually, this teaching's for you. If you're in the dark relationally, this teaching is for you. If you feel like God is you, and in your, honest, in your most honest moments, your life may be marked by more failure than success than this teaching is for you. If there's one thing that I want you to take away, it's this line right here. Don't give up on God because God has not given up on you. So here's how we're going to break this teaching down. And we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the backdrop of Christmas. We're going to look at the good news of Christmas. And then we're going to look at a model in Mary of re-engaging life with God. So that's our kind of like our pathway for this teaching. The backdrop of Christmas, the good news of the Christmas story, and then a model for re-engaging life with God whenever you just feel like, man, I don't know. It feels kind of like God's given up on me. What are my next steps to re-engaging life with him, So here's where we start. Uh, we're going to start with the backdrop of Christmas. The backdrop of Christmas. You guys good to dive in? You guys feel like ugh, we're struggling. We're struggling right now. It feels dead in here. I feel like you guys are over there. I'm up here. Are you guys ready to dive in to the backdrop of Christmas? Okay, thank you. Um, I need that, guys. I need that. Give me feedback. When I say something good, go, that's good, Corbin. Okay, I need that. Okay, because I'm kind of feeling like this little divide right now. Uh, this is the backdrop of Christmas. One of the things I love about the Bible, and I say this all the time, is that the Bible is a really, really raw and honest book. The Bible does not uh, meet us in kind of like and deal with us in religious, spiritual fantasy land. The The Bible meets us in like the most felt and real realities of life. And as we dive into the story of Christmas, the birth of Jesus, one of the things I'm aware of, one of the challenges we face is that most of us kind of like, over-sentimentalize the Christmas story. My daughter is super into a movie called The Star. You guys, have you guys seen The Star? It's like, it's the cutest little Christmas movie My, you know, uh, uh, Merit wants to watch it like every single day. The Star, The Star, The Star. She's all about the Star. she sings little songs. And that's how, and, and it's like the cutest little thing with like these cute animals who are journeying to meet Jesus. And one of the challenges we face as we dive into Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, and we look at the story of the birth of Jesus, is that most of us think that this is kind of like a cute, cute little Christmas story with like cute little animals, and we, we kind of like it make, it make it super sentimental, but, and it's like, it's good for kids, but... For us adults that have kind of been beat up by the realities of life and have hard, like, relational realities, and we struggle with patterns of sin, like, this really doesn't have anything to to say to us and to speak into us. It's actually far different. One of the realities we need to see is that the backdrop of the Christmas story is actually a really tough and a really hard backdrop it really meets us in kind of like some of the more raw realities of our lives. If There's three words that kind of like mark the backdrop of the Christmas story as we dive into Luke chapter 1. They're the words failure, silence, and obscurity. The backdrop of the Christmas story where Jesus is born and you get all the animals and you get all the shepherds is actually a really dark backdrop. Uh, And it's good because the light of Jesus shines brighter when things are dark and are going south. Failure silence and obscurity let me give you a word on each of these really quickly first failure first failure the backdrop of the christmas story is actually uh, go figure the old testament right and one of the things most people think about the old testament is that the old testament's full of kind of these model characters that we're supposed to mimic and our lives are going to go well if we could just kind of like have the faith of abraham and do and lead like david and all of this stuff but in fact if you read the old testament for yourself one of the primary themes of the old testament is failure It's failure. Failure is all over. It's like failure in Adam, failure in Noah, failure in Abram, failure all over the place. The biggest theme of the Old Testament is God's faithfulness to his people in the midst of their failure. And the big backdrop of the Christmas story is one of failure. You see, the theme of the Old Testament is God faithfully coming to his people and going, hey, I'm meeting you in the middle of your failure, inviting them back into life with him, and them doing exactly what we do all the time. It's like, okay, this is it. i'm gonna get my life together this time they do it for a few days and then they totally fail this is the theme of the old testament the theme of the old testament is people's failure and so as we enter into luke chapter one we need to see that the backdrop is one of failure god is not coming to meet them and do awesome things through jesus because they've been good god is coming to save them because they're failures that need saving okay second theme is this silence silence. When we enter into Luke chapter 1, the beginning of the Gospels, where the angel Gabriel, we'll look at this in just a second, where the angel Gabriel comes and speaks, God has not spoken to his people in 400 years, okay? So we're talking like, in our, in our day, since 1621, God has not spoken, okay? That's a long, long, long time. That's generations and generations and generations. And the people that are going to receive the good news of Jesus, here in our passage, when we dive into it here in just a second, they're probably kind of like mixing up the failure and silence stuff. They're like, man, we really haven't kept our end of the deal. In fact, one of the primary markers of the people of God is that we're really bad at keeping our promises to God. And they're thinking, God hasn't spoken in 400 years. He's not speaking to me. He's not leading us anymore. There's no more prophets speaking. We failed. Has God given up on us? I haven't lived how God's called me to live. Now he's silent. Maybe he's just moved on to better people than me. Silence. Failure, silence. And then finally, obscurity. This is one of my favorite ones. As we track through the first couple chapters of Luke, one of the themes you're gonna see in these two chapters is the theme of obscurity that God doesn't show up in places or to people that, that people expect him to. It's like he's always doing the opposite of what people expect, and he's meeting people who have failed, who most need the word of God to enter into their life, and they're in just like the most obscure places. So what we're going to see in just a second is that you would think, after 400 years of silence, that God would make this like grand entry through a prophet in, in Jerusalem, like the holy city, in the temple where people normally meet God through like the religious leaders. But in fact, what does he do? He, he goes to like the most obscure person in the most obscure place. He goes to a teenage woman named Mary off in this tiny little place called Bethlehem. And so what I'm trying to show you, what, I'm, uh, what I wanted you to see before we dive in is that the backdrop of the Christmas story is actually really relatable to us. The, the place that the messenger from God, this angel Gabriel, come and, and comes and announces the good news of Jesus is this place that we feel. It's like, man, I, in a lot of ways, I just feel like my life is marked by me trying to be really good and failing at being really good. It's like, my life feels like it's marked by like, me making these big commitments to God and then me not following through on my commitments and wondering, okay, is God going like, to be faithful to me is he, or is he going to give up and be silent and go find better people than me? My life feels like it's marked by failure. In a lot of ways, I don't know if you feel this, but it's like there are seasons in my life that feel like they're marked by the silence of God. Where it's like, man, God, I need your leadership here. I need you to speak and I need you to lead me and it just feels like this brick wall where God's silent. And because of failure and silence, it can feel like, and I want you to feel this too, it can feel like we're just like tiny little people in obscure places like Denver, Colorado. This, the world is so big, how could God love me? And yet, it's in the middle of all of that. Failure, silence, silence, in obscurity that God shows up and speaks the words of good news of the birth of Jesus. Now what this does is it is it reframes how we understand Christianity. It reframes how we understand how the God of the Bible, the God of the universe works that God does not God does not only work in like good people who have their act together. Thank God. But what God does is he meets weak failures who feel like God could never love them. They're trapped in places of kind of like silent obscurity. And he speaks words of light and life into them. And this is what he wants to do to us today. And so there's the backdrop of the Christmas story. The second thing we're gonna look at is the good news of Christmas. The good news of Christmas. Look at verse 26 with me. This is where we dive in. I I wanted you to get the context of Luke chapter one first. Verse 26 says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, angel is just a fancy uh, Greek word for messenger, the messenger Gabriel, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, obscure place, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, obscure person, kind of small person. And the angel came to her and said, "'Greetings, favored woman!' (laughs) The Lord is with you. Now, I love this. I'm going to highlight this here in just a little bit as we, as we look at Mary as a model for faith. You would think, now, if the Bible was kind of, like, made up, what Mary would do next is she'd be like, I've been waiting on the angel all my life. Like, this is the greatest thing ever. But I love how raw and honest the Bible is. She responds how we would respond if a freaking angel showed up in our bedroom, okay? She, uh, it says she was deeply troubled by this statement. Of course she was. Wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Mary's just like an average woman like us. An average person like us. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You know what the, by the way, just uh, can we go back to that slide real quick? You know what the most common, commonly repeated command from God in the Bible is? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I love that. We get that right there. Now listen, You will conceive and give birth to a son. And in the following lines, we're going to get a bunch of information. Now, Mary was Jewish, and so she was really familiar with the Old Testament. And as the angel kind of begins to announce the birth of Jesus to her, all of these little like indicator lights of Old Testament stuff are going on that God's gonna use her to do the thing that he's been promising for generations, okay? And so she would have been doing it. We're we're not as familiar with the Old Testament as she would have been, but that's what's going off. It says this, you will conceive and and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. He's gonna be the son of God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom Will have no end. Now, like I said, as these words are pouring out of the mouth of the messenger, it's dawning on Mary that she's going to give birth to the long-awaited Messiah that has been promised back in the Old Testament throughout the whole of the Old Testament. A few clues we get in this passage, number one, she's to name him Jesus. The name Jesus means Savior. And so when, when the messenger says Jesus, she goes, I'm gonna give birth to the one who is coming to save. Okay? You're going to name him Jesus. You're going to name him Savior. He will be called the Son of God. He's going to be God in the flesh coming to save his people. And he's going to be, you see this in the passage, in the royal line of Jacob and David. Jacob and David are two of the big daddies of the Old Testament, okay? And so it's like she hears that, she goes, Jacob and David? All right, this is a big dude, all right? He's going to be the king who establishes the kingdom of flourishing and life, and life that will last forever. Now, just one little thing I'm trying to highlight here. The announcement of the birth of Jesus, right here in this passage, is God breaking his silence and announcing to failures and nobodies in obscure places that he loves them and is coming to save them. This is what the announcement of the birth of Jesus is. It's not this cute little sentimental thing where we're like, oh, that's sweet, a little baby born in a trough, and there's going to be little, like, lambs and uh, uh, calves, like, looking over it. And no, this is the announcement of a king. God in the flesh who is coming to save his people. Essentially, in this birth announcement of Jesus, it's God announcing to Mary what will be announced around the globe that God is coming to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God is coming to save. God is coming to save. And, you know, I love this because it so perfectly intersects with real life in the real world. So perfectly intersects with real life in the real world. The, the tendency we have when we fail, when we don't live up to either God's expectations or our own expectations of ourselves, is to think that God will turn his back on us and give us the silent treatment as we kind of like fade away into obscurity, and God's going to go and work with people who are better than us and kind of can get their act together. But the gift of the Bible, and specifically the gift of this Bible passage, is that it shows us that God is actually the exact opposite of what we imagine him to be. You know, this is why we need the word of God. Next year we're going to call the year of, year of the Bible. We're going to make a massive push for our whole, the whole church to be serious disciples of Jesus, reading our Bibles every day. And, and the reason we need the Bible is because every single time we read the word of God, we get our image of God, that we our false image of God that we carry around in our around in our heads and in our hearts, reframed for us in the best ways. And that's what this passage does for us. God, in this passage, is the exact opposite of what we imagine him to be. Actually, what this passage shows is that, is that actually, the place of feeling like a total failure, who's kind of like, who is far from God and not hearing from God anymore, and feeling kind of like an obscure person, actually that place right there, is the place that the God of the Bible specializes at entering into and speaking words of hope and life and salvation. This is what God's specialty is. The Christian story shows us these wild things about God. Things like, (laughs) these things are unbelievable. Things like even in our perpetual failure, God is perfectly faithful to his people. Like even in our perpetual failure, God is perfectly faithful. I read this in my time with the Lord in the word this morning in 2 Timothy. That even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Like, the story of Christianity is not this story, I'm going to talk about this in a second, is not this story of like, if you get your act together, God will love you and use you and do great things. The story of Christianity is God doing great things and loving people who can't get their act together and by his power accomplishing his plans. It's just like, things like, he just doesn't quit on his people. I just think of Philippians where it's like, he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus, that he will not quit on you. Things like the perceived silence of God, God was silent for 400 years, that thing doesn't equate to him not loving you and preparing salvation for you. He went quiet just before he spoke words of salvation and came to save Things like even when we feel like the most no-name and obscure and inconsequential person in the world that God sees us. He sees our situation. He sees our pain. He sees our sin and he loves us anyways and he can enter into that place with good news. This is what the Christmas story shows us and I just have to add this. The thing that I love about this, probably the most, is that God actually knows what we need more than we do. You know, whenever I find my, myself in a place I, in a place of kind of like failure and kind of feeling like I'm, I'm just not like clicking on all cylinders, and this is probably my personality. Some of you may, might deal with this differently. What I think that I need is just kind of like a list of rules and some good advice and a little pep talk, and I can kind of get my act together. I'll make some New Year's resolutions. It's coming, and my life is going to be like up and to the right from here, you know? It's like, just give me some good advice. Just give me a little like Tony Robbins or something, and I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like skyrocketing into like the successful marriage that I dream of, and the successful life that I dream of, and all of this stuff. But one of the things that I, that, that I love about this passage is that God doesn't enter in in Luke chapter 1 and speak words of good advice. He enters in and he speaks words of good news. He doesn't enter into the place of uh, into Mary's place and go, hey, do you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna save the world through your son. Now, here's what I need. Here's the ten things I need you to do, so that you can be qualified for me to use you. He doesn't enter in with good advice. He enters in with good news. And I love this because if there's one theme that I'm kind of like hit on that's been a, been true throughout the whole story of the Bible, it's that. We human beings are really bad at keeping our end of the deal when it comes to obeying God. We are just, and we all feel this, you know? It's like, I'm just really bad. I, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've been like, okay, this is the moment. Like, here in just a few minutes, I'm gonna, we're gonna do a response time, and you might have one of these moments. This is the moment. I'm finally gonna get it together. I'm gonna read my Bible every day. I'm gonna make myself available to the things of God. And then by Monday afternoon, I do the thing that I said I wasn't gonna do anymore. It's like, we're just really bad at keeping our end of the deal when it comes to loving and obeying God. We're terrible at it. So God doesn't come to us with good advice on how to live. He knows we won't obey it. This has been the story of the Bible. What does he do? He comes with good news that he's going to save us despite our bad living. He's going to do for us through Jesus Christ what we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to do all of the work to bring us back to God. He's going to forgive us of our sin. He's going to give us a new heart. He's going to set us on a new trajectory. He's going to defeat death for us and welcome us into eternal life. Jesus, right here in Luke chapter one, is coming to do for us the very very things that we couldn't do for ourselves. Now this shows us something so crucial and beautiful and freeing about Christianity. It's like, it's so foundational and so fundamental that it's there from the very beginning of the life of Jesus. Here it is. That Christianity is not about what we do for God. It's about what God does for us foundational this whole thing is not this exhausting to-do list of like how we can get our lives together and be more religious and succeed in our marriages and succeed in our singleness and all of this stuff it's not that christianity is foundationally good news about what god has come and done for bad people like us christianity is not good life advice to be lived into It is good news about what God has done that is to be received. Tim Keller says this about the difference between advice and news. He says, advice is counsel about what you must do. News is a report about what has already been done. Advice urges you to make something happen. News urges you to recognize something that has already happened and to respond to it. Advice says it's all up to you to act. News says someone else has acted. And the messenger here doesn't show up to Mary and say, here's what you have to do, and then give a long task list about obedience. The messenger shows up to Mary and says, hey, here is what God is doing. He's coming to love and save his people through you. Now, the final thing we get in this, so we see a dark backdrop. We see the good news of Christmas entering in, that God is that God is going to save bad people that can't get their acts together, but the final thing we get in this passage, and I think that this is probably my favorite part, is a model for re-engaging life with God. It's actually a model, the simplest way to put it, is a model of faith, and we get the model in Mary. This is kind of where this goes from, like, intellectual fodder of, like, oh, like, that's cool that God is like that, to, like, okay, so what do I do about it, and how do I step in? into it. The big idea of today, just to keep us focused, is don't give up on God because God has not given up on you. And we've seen that in this passage we get this beautiful reality of God breaking the silence and entering in and saving failures who feel like nobodies in obscurity. But this passage also gives us the way forward on how to receive this news and re-engage life with God. So before I tease this out, I just want to I just wanna bring this down into real life really quickly and then we'll look at Mary's model of engaging life with God. Maybe you're here and you're hearing this good news and you've never considered Christianity before. You're like, man, like I, you know, I got invited or I saw, I saw something online about the Heights and like I'm coming and I, I've never really considered Christianity before but you're finding your pl- yourself in this place of, and it's shocking to you, of feeling surprisingly open to it. You're like, I've never been as open as I am now to Christianity. What this does, what Mary does in this passage, is she serves as a model for you about how to take next steps and engage life with God for the first time. But maybe for you, this is probably a larger crowd in a a room like this, maybe for you, you had days in the past where you, the best way I can put it is you just felt like you were alive when it came to the things of God. It's like, man, I, I... like, there were this years ago, I used to read, or months ago, I used to read God's Word, and I loved it. I used to love showing up and worshiping and receiving the teaching of the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God. I loved it. I felt like God was changing me, but if I look at my last few months, or if I look at my last few years, I just feel like, I feel like it's marked by, I feel like it's marked by the backdrop of this, of this passage. I feel like it's marked by failure, where it's like, I just can't get my act together it's like i i just don't love the things of god anymore i feel cold toward god it's marked by silence i just feel like god's not speaking to me he's not leading me in the way he once did and it's kind of like it feels like god's kind of forgotten about me what mary does if that's you in any way what mary does is she serves as a model on how to re-engage life with god mary is the model for how to respond to the good news of the Christmas story. And I just want to briefly show you three ways that she responds to the good news of Christmas. Three ways that she responds to the good news of Christmas. Number one, Mary responds thoughtfully. Mary responds thoughtfully. One of the things people often think about engaging life with God and having a life of faith is that you have to throw reason and thoughtfulness out the window. You know, it's like, you hear that probably the most popular way you kind of like think about this or hear this said is like, just believe, like just believe, just do it. Just jump in, just jump in. Just believe in Jesus. And like, don't think about it. But that's actually really dangerous and that's not the model that Mary gives us on the life of faith. Like one of the things that I love is that no one can accuse Mary here of blind, questionless faith. In fact, she's actually full of a whole lot of questions for this messenger that shows up. She's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Get the good news. I've got questions, bud. That's how she does. I love this. Uh, I'll give you two examples of this. First, when the messenger uh, Gabriel shows up, we see that Mary is, quote, deeply troubled, okay? And we talked about this earlier. This is verse, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now, let's just, we tried to do this earlier, let's just put yourself in this moment. Mary, normal lady, engaged to, I'm going to say, the love of her life, excited about the wedding day, getting things prepared, going throughout her day, boom, angel. Guys, That is not normal. That is not normal for an angel to show up. And you would think, you would think, you know, that these because these things just happen in the Bible all the time, she'd be like, I've been waiting. Speak. But it doesn't say that. What does it say? Verse 29. But she was deeply troubled by this statement. Wondering what this kind of greeting could be. Mary has, what I'm trying to show you is that Mary has a skepticism to her that's good. Not all skepticism about the things of God is bad. She has a skepticism to her that's good. She doesn't just go awesome and angel, she's skeptical. And then even after the messenger announces the good news of a virgin birth of the king who will save her, she doesn't just blindly accept it, she questions it. And I love this, we unpacked this a few weeks ago when we talked about the virgin birth of Christ in our Apostles' Creed series. I love this, he, you know, he, he comes and he's like, you're a virgin, you're gonna give birth to the Son of God. And verse 34, it says this, Mary asks the angel, okay, explain that to me. How can this be? And I love the CSB translations, translation. Since I have not had sexual relations with a man. She's, she's a practical woman. She's asking really, really good questions. How can this be? Now just to name it, what we're seeing mes- Mary wrestle with is faith and doubt. Faith and doubt. She's seeing things and hearing things that she's having a hard time believing. And yet, don't miss this in the story, the messenger never rebukes her for her questions. The, me- the, the, messenger, never, the messenger never goes, quit asking questions, just believe. Just believe, throw your, No, the messenger actually, if anything, he welcomes the thoughtfulness. He welcomes the questions and he responds to them very gently and with good reasoning. He never says just believe, don't doubt. So let me just speak to doubt for a second. Because a lot of people wrestle with this. Man, like, I think I believe in Jesus, but but I've got these doubts that kind of like swirl around in my mind and they swirl around in my heart. And what you need to know is that the Bible has a really nuanced view on doubt. According to the Bible, sometimes doubt can be bad, but sometimes doubt can be good and can be a gift. Tim Keller, uh, as he's always helpful, he's helpful here on faith and doubt uh, as well. He says this, and I love this. This is probably my favorite thing of this whole passage that I got to study. He says, there's a kind of doubt that is a sign of a closed mind, And there is a kind of doubt that is a sign of an open mind. Some doubt seeks answers, and some doubt is a defense against the possibility of answers. There are people like Mary who are open to the truth and are willing to relinquish sovereignty over their lives if they can be shown that the truth is other than what they thought. And there are others who use doubts as a way of staying in control of their lives and keeping their minds closed. And at the end of this long quote, the quote goes on, Tim Keller asks the question, and I would just ask the question of you, which kind of doubt do you have? There are some people, when it comes to faith and doubt, and issues of faith and doubt, who don't want answers. They just want to ask hard questions, and they're convinced. I will never believe this stuff. But there are other people like Mary, who have this like, holy inquisitiveness to them they have questions that are bubbling up and maybe this is you you have questions that are bubbling up in your heart in your heart and in your mind and what that is is that can be a gift from god that's leading you to engage the things of god and find out that there are really good solid answers to your questions and so what kind of date what kind of doubt do you have first mary responds thoughtfully she doesn't just throw reason out the window Faith, according to the Bible, has all kinds of thoughtfulness and reason to it. Second, Mary responds gradually. Mary responds gradually. Uh, throughout the Bible, we have people that engage life with God at different paces. Like, some people hear the good news of Jesus and they're kind of like all in. They're like, yeah, give it to me, I love it, let's do it, I'm all in on Jesus. And if I'm honest, I, I, I really grew up in a, in a uh, faith tradition that really harped on this one. Uh, that was kind of like, you know you hear one bite you should show up to church for the first time and you should hear the bible taught one time and let's do it let's seal the deal right now come down front the church will clap for you and we'll be done you know and it's like okay and sometimes, like, don't get me wrong, sometimes that, that, that's good. Sometimes that culture is good. Sometimes that kind of stuff happens in the Bible. People will hear the good news of Jesus. It's like Acts chapter 2, and they're like, tell me what I have to do to be saved, you know? Tell me what I have to do to receive the good news. But other times in the Bible, and I think this one's talked a little bit, uh, not, not talked about as much, is what I, what, what I want to say, the way I want to say it, is that faith can be gradual. Faith can happen kind of like in gradual baby steps uh, as people slowly move toward the things of God. And, and Mary is a really good example of this. Mary's faith happens in three stages. Fear, inquisitive doubt, and trust. Fear, inquisitive doubt, and trust. It begins with fear in verse 29. We've, we've tar- harped on this one for a while as the angel shows up and greets her and it just says she was deeply troubled by this. It's like sometimes when, you hear, when people hear the good news of Jesus, it doesn't strike them as good news, it strikes them as like really scary news. Like, oh, that's like scary. But in her fear, um, she doesn't let that stop her from engaging the things of God, but rather her, her fear leads her to inquisitive doubt. This is what we've been talking about, where she's kind of like, tell me more, like, how is that going to be? Like, how could that be? How can these things happen? She's like, I think in some ways her faith is like, okay, I'll bite. And then the messenger gives her another answer. She's like, okay, I'll bite on that. And then the messenger gives her another answer. And uh, she, she moves into inquisitive doubt. And then finally, over time, after being given really good answers, she moves toward trust. She moves toward trust. And the point of the model right here is that, is that we consider it and go, man, am I moving in the right direction? Am I moving... From fear to inquisitive doubt to trust, and a lot of times this isn 't like an up and to the right thing. this is a cycle we move through in our stages of faith we 're like things are scary to us. We ask questions of God. God shows us that he's trustworthy. We step into it, and then we find ourselves at like another thing, and then we're like, we're scared again, and we ask good questions of God. God shows us that he's trustworthy. He reminds us his past faithfulness is the best indicator of his future faithfulness. We go, okay, I'm going to step in. It's this cycle of learning to trust God throughout all of life, and then finally, Mary's response culminates in simple surrender. Mary's response culminates in simple surrender. After all of this, Mary models what the end goal of life with God looks like, and it's just these words. It's simple surrender. I love the ver- I love her response in verse 38. I love her response in verse 38. She says this, and this is the response of today. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. See, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you've said. One of the things I don't want you to miss here is that God was not asking her to do an easy thing. In fact, what God was asking her to do was really terrifying and really hard. She was engaged, but all these things you know she was engaged but not yet married and agreeing to carry a child she was likely agreeing to be ostracized from from society for her obedience to god and yet what does she do she goes i know the consequences your way is better than my way and in this mary models for us what it means to live life with god it's a surrendering of our way to god's way knowing that his way will be better The good news uh, of Christmas is that God enters into our silence, darkness, failure, and obscurity, and he speaks good news of his love and his salvation over us, and in this, he's inviting us to reengage life with him, and we do it thoughtfully, we do it gradually, and with simple surrender to his way over ours. So here's the big idea of today as we wrap things up. The big idea of today is don't give up on God because God has not given up on you. Don't give up on God because God has not given up on you. And for our response time, I, I just want to invite you uh, into a time of, of simple surrender to God and His way, where we are remembering the good news of the Christmas story, where we're remembering that the backdrop of the Christmas story is not God entering into religious people who have their acts together and using them in great ways but the backdrop of the Christmas story is really the backdrop of our lives. It's, it's a backdrop marked by failure. It's a backdrop marked by kind of like perceived silence of God and wanting God to do things that he's not doing and feeling like, man, maybe God's given up on us. Maybe God's given up on me. And so in, this, in these moments, I just, I just want to invite you to invite God to meet you in the place that you most feel you have need. You have patterns of sin that you know are really destructive for you and and you're like, man, I want these patterns to break and I I just feel like every time I ask for them to break, they come back and because of that, I feel like God's gonna give up on me. Maybe Maybe you're struggling with patterns of failure. Maybe for you it's you just feel like God's been really We dis- You want God to reignite joy and faith in your heart. Maybe for you, you feel super lonely, and you feel like there's nobody in the world that cares for you or about you. And what we see in the story is that God meets people in places of obscurity where they think that God has given up on them, and, they, and God speaks words of light life and so God we're just coming and we're, we're coming before you and we're just saying that we need you to come and minister to us by your Holy Spirit in places of silence and places of failure and places of obscurity and places of fear and places of anxiety we're just welcoming you to come and minister to us We're praying that the good news of the Christmas story right here in Luke chapter 1 would fall fresh on us as good news to broken people, sinful people, that you will not give up on us, that you want to speak words of life and salvation into us. And so we welcome you to do that in the coming minutes. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to respond in uh, just a couple of ways. Uh, We're going to respond first through singing. We're going to sing together and celebrate the good news of Jesus. We're also going to respond through taking communion. In communion, we remember this good news that stands at the heart of Christmas, that Christianity is not primarily about what we do for God, but it's about what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ. Through communion, we remember that we are not forgiven of our sins and made, and made secure in the love of God and given the hope of eternal life by being good religious people, but through the life, the shed blood, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we would invite you to take communion during this response time. There's going to be two stations right up here in the front and two stations right back there in the back. You can do that at any time during the response time. And finally, I just want to offer as a response um, to be uh, for you to be prayed over. Um, today's been kind of like a sensitive teaching that could meet people in places of kind of like, man, I I just feel like these are like some tender places of failure. And so, I just want to ask if you're one of our community group leaders around here that you would head to the back of the room and make yourself available for anybody on the back end of the service, during any time of the back end of the service, to go back and be prayed for. Maybe you need the grace of God to fall in your heart. Maybe you need your faith in Jesus reignited. Whatever you need, go back there, and our community group leaders would love to pray for you. Let's stand, and let's respond to the good news of Christmas.